0: Welcome to the Silver Screen Podcast. I'm Jared Boomer.
1: And I'm Katie Ganey-West. This is a podcast about movies and pop culture.
0: And today it is the second of the big weekend at the box office. Oppenheimer is what we're going to be talking about today. Christopher Nolan's brand new movie came in second at the box office behind barbie which that episode is out if you haven't listened to that yet but obviously two very different movies so oppenheimer is a little bit more serious of a discussion than i think barbie was so just fyi uh there's gonna be discussion of uh, obviously bombs on this episode Mm -hmm. suicide mass murder um you know lots sexual of different content. sexual content um lots of different things so yeah. just if any of that triggers you just wanted to warn you up front that those things will be coming up on the episode today uh while we talk about Oppenheimer so excited to talk about Oppenheimer though uh in just a few minutes but we did have one news thing uh from our last recording we literally behind the scenes we recorded Barbie uh, last night, which was a Monday, <laughs> and now we're recording Oppenheimer on a Tuesday. So there's not a lot of news that has happened in one day. But
1: Right. It's been uh, a busy week.
0: Yeah. One thing that I did see is the chief of the Venice Film Festival. His name is Alberto Barbera. He did an interview with Variety magazine, and Venice Film Festival is coming up soon. But obviously, the the writer strike and the actor strike is going on right now, and they did have a movie pull out. Um, so the News and Daya movie Challengers, where she's like a uh, plays tennis. I don't know if you got a preview before that, uh, before Barbie or not. We did in our. I theater, didn't. So, no. um, But that got delayed and so that's not coming out until the spring now so that will not be at the Venice Film Festival and then uh, there was some interesting comments by him on what actors were maybe going to show up at the Venice Film Festival. So Variety asked, quote, let's delve into the stars on the red carpet situation. Who will be able to come? And he said, quote, the stars who certainly will not be able to come to Venice are the ones in Bradley Cooper's new movie and the new Fincher movie because those are streamer or studio films. He said all the others, which are indie movies, uh, including Michael Mann's Ferrari, which has Adam Driver and Penelope, Cruz in it, Sophia Coppola's Priscilla, and Ava DuVernay's Origin. He said, all the other films are asking SAG for waivers. SAG right now is giving priority to waivers for productions, but I'm told they will be taking these into consideration very shortly. So I think that would be interesting. Apparently, those are independent movies, even though they have some big names in them. So it could be possible that we see like Adam Driver at the Venice Film Festival. Also, this article was interesting because it talked a little bit about Bradley Cooper, too. And obviously, Bradley Cooper directed uh, Maestro, but is also starring in it. So he was a little bit of an ethical dilemma there of whether he goes or not. Uh, They're saying he's probably not going to go to stand in support of the actors because that's kind of what he's done more than just directing. So but then there was one other interesting part that I wanted to uh, bring up, and that's they're featuring movies by Roman Polanski and Woody Allen, new movies that they have out. And Variety asked him about that. Um, He said, the interviewer said, the issue that's raging right now is the presence of movies by Roman Polanski and Woody Allen, what's your response? And he said... Quote, Woody Allen went under legal scrutiny twice at the end of the 90s and was absolved with them. I don't see where the issue is. In Polanski's case, it's paradoxical. It's been 60 years. Polanski has admitted his responsibility. He's asked to be forgiven. He's been forgiven by the victim. The victim has asked for the issue to be put to rest. I think that's to keep beating on Polanski, being seeking a scapegoat for other situations that would deserve more attention. He said, I'm on the side of those who say you have to distinguish between the responsibility of the individual and that of the artist. Also, my festival director, not a judge i judge the artistic qualities of films and from this perspective i don't see why i should not invite polanski's film to venice so uh, a little bit of an interesting comment there
1: Hmm. i think (laughs) uh i partially agree with him i'm trying to be a person that can be better about separating the art from the artist at the same time i do think you should put on blast what they've done polanski has straight up raped people
0: Mm -hmm. yeah yeah like
1: confirmed we already know it yeah um Who's the other creep? Woody Allen. (laughs) Thank you. Woody Allen. I don't know that I can say rape, but has definitely done some very questionable things as well Mm -hmm. um, and has not had to answer for his behavior. So I do think it's still good to at least make people aware of what they are accused of or convicted of or, you know, things like Polanski can't come back to America because we know what he did. So,
0: yeah. And I would say, like, I feel like you don't need if you're a big film festival, I feel like you don't need to feature their new no, movies like especially don't. especially polanski because he's been irrelevant for quite some time yeah. um but even woody allen i don't think you need to feature woody allen's new movie either whatever it is i don't even know what it's about i've heard anything about the new Woody well, allen and polanski, movie, so.
1: they're both unfortunately so famous anyway they don't need you to show their newest film to yeah. get people to go or for people to care the people that are loyal to them are still loyal to them
0: yeah, so. it looks like Woody Allen's new movie is in French, starring French actors, coming out in September. So I mean,
1: it would almost have to be, because I think Americans are kind of done. Yeah,
0: they're kind of done with him. So so yeah. that's the Venice Film Festival, which is still going to happen, but again, it's going to be a little bit different. That's the next big film festival that's coming up, so it will be interesting to see how that all plays out um, with the strikes still going on and with some mm-hmm. movies being pulled and everything. So um, that's all of our news items. We have no corrections. Um, I had one recommendation, finally finished the show Jury Duty, which I've recommended on here before, um, but it wrapped up very nicely. The last episode is really cool, too. It kind of shows you the process of how they actually filmed this and put this together and tried to keep the guy Ronald from finding out that it was like a a film shoot and wasn't actually a real uh, courtroom. So the last episode is kind of all behind the scenes, which I thought was really interesting in how they kind of show you how they how they do it. So. But it was funny. It was good. Um, I'm a little concerned for Ronald in terms of like mental state and going through something like that and then finding out that it's not real. But apparently he still talks with lots of members of the cast. He seems to be doing okay. I know he was in a a TV commercial or something, so got another like little roll out of it. So I think he's he's been okay. but I can imagine that that could take a toll on somebody when they go through that. It's like 17 days worth of uh, trial that they're doing because um, it's a pretty big trial. And to find out that it was all fake at the end, I, I don't know how I would react to that. So. But you yeah, reacted I, pretty good.
1: <laughs> I have got to watch it. I, I have heard yeah. so much about it, and I think I would really enjoy it. So one of these days, I will get around to it.
0: So that's that's my only recommend.
1: Well, I didn't have any, but I did want to say today on July 25th, but I said this two weeks ago before the movie came out. I think they should probably close the Oscar race for a best actor. Um, Give it to Killian. I don't even (laughs) feel like if I were a man (laughs) and had a movie coming out this year, I'd be like, you know what? Honestly, let's release it next year because there's no point anymore. Because I do think Killian's that good. Also, I want him to win. Also, if I know the Oscars, which I don't always, but this is so like, this is the meat and potatoes of what they like. This kind of movie, this kind of acting, what he had to sacrifice what it's about, and he's outstanding in this film. So as of July 25th, 2023, I would like to say that Killian will get nominated for Best Actor and will win for Oscar. Okay.
0: Okay. I okay. will... Um, I ju- While you were saying that, I just looked up Variety's predictions for the Oscars for next they year. They already have them? They already have some... Er- I mean, they're very early predictions, but oh. uh, here's who they think will get nominated for Actor in a Leading Role, just so okay. you're aware. Uh, okay. Bradley Bradley Cooper for Maestro.
1: Oh shoot! I did
0: forget that one. Leo for Killers of the Flower Moon, although that does not—that looks like a good Leo performance, but maybe not sure. an Oscar-winning Leo not performance. Not an Oscar-winning. Nope. Um, Coleman Domingo for a movie called Rustin, which is going to be on Netflix, which I have not oh, really crud. heard a lot about. Um, Paul Giamatti for a new movie, The Holdovers, uh-huh. directed by Alexander Payne. We got a trailer for that. Um, I did but that ba- okay. I, that does look like that does yeah. look like an Oscar
1: winner to me, and okay. then Kill-
0: Killian, the last one in the category.
1: That's right, so. that's right. See, I was wondering <laughs> if they would do Timmy for Dune, too.
0: Yeah, he's not listed on here, so huh. we'll see about um, that. Um, they for supporting, they have Robert Downey Jr. getting nominated for this movie mm-hmm. and Ryan Gosling for Barbie, definitely. Um, And they also have Emily Blunt getting nominated for this movie. So
1: that would be so exciting because Gosling and Emily both are two people that I have long thought would get Oscars. Mm -hmm. Today in my research for this movie, Emily, I didn't even put together, has never been nominated for an Oscar.
0: Okay. That's kind of crazy.
1: crazy. She's been nominated for BAFTAs and so has Killian. Okay.
0: Yeah. And Golden Globes, obviously. Yeah. Yes.
1: But I thought that was very surprising, but it's about time.
0: Yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Oscar Mm -hmm. race should be interesting as we as we move on throughout the year. So,
1: I mean, plus let's see, we'll see how everything changes too. Yeah, shakes out with the strikes and everything. We'll
0: see if stuff actually comes out um, or comes out in the eligibility time period. um, Right, all that. So, like I said, I think the big releases are probably safe, but some of these smaller ones that might need their actors to push it a little bit could be uh, a little bit in trouble. So, we'll we'll see what happens with that. So with that, we will get into our thoughts on Oppenheimer, released on July 21st, rated R for nudity, language, and some sexuality. It's three hours long. Uh, IMDb is at 8.8 out of 10. Very high. Rotten Tomatoes' Mm -hmm. uh, critic score is 94. Audience is 93. Box office-wise, domestically, it's made $82 million, worldwide $180 million, so it did very well in its opening weekend. Um, and it is the story of American scientist J. Robert Oppenheimer and his role in the development of the atomic bomb. Not a easy story to tell by any means, but a true story, something that actually did happen. This is based off of a book. Um, yes, and American that,
1: Prometheus. Yes.
0: Yep, I was trying to remember the title. So,
1: And the gentleman that wrote it also helped co-write this movie. So I do think that that gives it a lot of credibility.
0: And I also saw that the, I think the author of that book also came out and said that the movie is fairly accurate to what happened, actually happened and what was in the book. So Yes, um, um,
1: it's. Sorry, I wanted to make sure I got his name. Okay. So the book, the full title is American Prometheus, The Triumph and Tragedy of J. Robert Oppenheimer. Uh, The book was written by Kai Bird and also Martin J. Sherwin, but Kai Bird is the one that is typically associated with it.
0: Okay. Okay. And I also see here it won the Pulitzer for biography or yes. autobiography the year it came out. So, And
1: I looked it up immediately when the film ended because I was like, well, I guess I have to read this tomorrow. Um, <laughs> and it's over 700 pages. And then I thought, mm, maybe I'm going to put that on a Goodreads to be read list uh, and come back to it sometime. <laughs> and if anybody is wondering, too, they do explain. I really appreciate it that they brought this up at the beginning of the film. But Prometheus is, of course, the God. He stole fire from the gods. Um and brought it down to Earth, I guess. Um, but it led to death and destruction. And then he was forced... I forget what the punishment was. Uh, yeah, I forget too. I can't remember. They now I have to, it I have to look movie. it up because I've opened my big mouth here. Um, <laughs> Prometheus, <laughs> let me just tell you here. Sorry, everyone. Okay. Okay, yes. He stole fire from them and gave it to humanity in the form of technology, knowledge, and more generally, civilization. Um, oh, but then... But then it doesn't say what happens. Uh, Let's see. Okay. Another thing it says is that it's a powerful technology that must be used responsibly, which is okay. the same with nuclear warfare. Yeah. Giving humans fire also meant giving humans a moral choice to use the tool for good or evil. So really that, that uh, title is genius. And then uh, Chained to a Rock, that's what happened to him. My bad. As punishment for his rebelliousness, Prometheus was sentenced with eternal torment by Zeus, bound to a rock by chains, and he was visited each day by an eagle who fed off his liver.
0: Wow. Okay. Who,
1: who created these these stories back in the day? These yeah. Greek that, that's tragedies. A tense, so what a mess. But uh,
0: there this- you go. This movie is directed by Christopher Nolan, um, one of our favorite directors for sure. Might be my favorite director, honestly, um, of, of everybody. Uh, his birthday is coming up soon on July 30th. So happy birthday, Chris. Uh, got a movie out in theaters on your birthday. That's never a bad thing. Um, and he's an English director. He's done so many movies uh, known for Memento, The Prestige, all the Batman films, Batman Begins, Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises, uh, Inception interstellar dunkirk and Tenet does not have any upcoming projects listed yet i will say he's he's somebody that doesn't really crank out a lot of projects you know right. consistent it's usually like three four years it'll probably be like 2026 before we get 2027 before we get the next christopher nolan movie um yeah. kind of like works on one and then puts that completely to rest and then like starts working on the next one so right. Um, and obviously his last movie before this was Tenet, which came out during the pandemic. I don't know if a ton of people saw it, uh, especially in theaters. I went and saw it in theaters, but there was like six of us in there, all very spaced out uh, with our masks on because it was right during COVID. Um, but I know it's it's been on streaming for a little while, and I think some more people have been able to see it there. It was on HBO Max for, for quite a while. So don't know if it's still on there, though. Uh, but we will take a quick break here on the show. We'll come back to talk about the cast and our likes and dislikes for Oppenheimer. And we're back here on the Silver Screen podcast talking about Oppenheimer in the lead role as J. Robert Oppenheimer is Killian Murphy.
1: Jared, since this has become kind of a game for us, I'm going to need you to um, lay on the crush alert. Pretend you've pulled up to a stop sign and it's the worst light in town and you just like can't get through the intersection because it's never going to turn green. Uh, Lay on the crush (laughs) alert for that long. Thank you, Jared. I am (laughs) obsessed with Killian, and I was before this performance. I will say Peaky Blinders, watching that this year, which I did that before I even was like thinking about Oppenheimer, but it did bring my love for him to a new high. Um, He is an Irish actor, which also makes him attractive. (laughs) Um, He is best known for Inception, 28 Days Later, Red Eye, Dunkirk, A Quiet Place Part 2, and for playing Thomas Shelby on the show Peaky Blinders. He has been nominated for several BAFTAs, but no Oscars yet. And then I put, But we all know that's about to change. Next up, you can see him in small things like these and 28 months later.
0: I totally forgot he was in Quiet Place Part 2 until you just mentioned that. I
1: know. He was good yeah, in that and movie. And he was yeah. really good in that.
0: Yeah. And yep. it was
1: with Emily Blunt.
0: Mm-hmm, yep. And, and they're then, back like, there's together all in this crazy,
1: movie. Yeah, there's all these crazy <laughs> connections, too, because Emily Blunt and Matt Damon were in the Adjustment Bureau, Bureau. Which did not do well. I saw it. I, I, I did too. With it. Yeah, it was fine. It was okay. But they laughed. I've watched so many interviews with this cast in this movie. And Emily and Matt have joked about that. But they're like really close friends in real life. But they're like, we can't wait for Adjustment Bureau Part 2, which is never going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I
0: anyway. think you and I might have been two of the 12 people that went and saw that movie. So Yeah. yeah.
1: But, uh, the, but there's just a lot of connections between these um, actors in this film. Um, next up, speaking of, we have Emily Blunt. She plays Catherine Kitty Oppenheimer. Uh, Jared, I need you to, um, now pretend that you, um, there's a commercial break, uh, during a TV show and, but you have to go to the bathroom. So you have to pause. (laughs) You, or you can't pause the show, but like you have to go to the bathroom in the time that this commercial happens. If you could (laughs) click on the crush alert button for that long, I'd appreciate it. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) <laughs> that compared, This is our new thing. Um, anyway, back to Emily. She is best known for The Devil Wears Prada, Sicario, Mary Poppins, Mary Poppins Returns, A Quiet Place, A Quiet Place Part 2, Salmon Fishing in the Yemen, and Edge of Tomorrow. She has been nominated for three BAFTAs already, but unbelievably, no Oscar noms yet. Hard for me to believe. Uh, next up, you can see her in five upcoming projects. Some of them include The Fall Guy, which we mentioned, I think, yesterday. <laughs> Let, yeah, because uh, Gosling's
0: in that. Yes, so. and
1: then Live Die Repeat and Repeat, which is with Tom Cruise, who we just mentioned in Mission Impossible, and then Jungle Cruise two and more.
0: Uh, I'm and gonna then, I'm gonna say that Jungle Cruise two doesn't need to be made, but pro-
1: probably not.
0: But get that check, um, Emily. So
1: also. Uh, she said recently she plans to take a break from acting for a while to be with her girls because they have two girls. Um, and she just said, like, they're at a pivotal age and she really hates, like, being away from them and doesn't really want them to grow up not having their mom around. Okay. So I think that's awesome and support it, even though selfishly I want to see her. But she still has five upcoming movies. So I think she's, like, going to be making sufficient money during that break.
0: Yeah, she's probably going to be, you know, raking up that dough and then take yeah. a break and then, you know, be good to go so
1: well lastly we can do a baby crush alert because matt damon i absolutely love but i of course love him in peak uh peak goodwill hunting time so for matt damon he plays leslie groves in this movie um jared if you could just lay on the crush alert button but like pretend you just quickly have a text message you have to respond to okay thanks Matt Damon is known for Good Will Hunting, The Departed, The Talented Mr Ripley, The Martian, the Jason Bourne franchise, Ford v Ferrari, Stillwater and Air, which we just covered on episode 187 if you're interested. He has been nominated for 5 Oscars and in 1998 he won the Best Screenplay Oscar alongside Ben Affleck for Good Will Hunting, one of my all-time favorite movies. Next up, he has 4 upcoming projects including The King of Oil, the instigators and Drive-Away dolls.
0: Very nice. Also, um, in the best in the variety Oscar predictions, yes. it's predicting that Air is getting is going to get nominated for Best Picture, uh, and Matt Damon, one of the producers on that, of course, so he would possibly be Oscar nominated for that. I'd be
1: okay with that. So, I also think Barbie's going to get a nomination.
0: Fair, yeah, fair. That's that's definitely something that could happen. So
1: um, then this movie does have an all star cast. I feel like I feel like we're saying that about every movie, but really Oppenheimer and Barbie have had huge, uh, casts in them. So I did, did need to mention some of the main people that you see in this film. Uh, this movie is also starring Florence Pugh, Robert Downey Jr., Rami Malek, Alden Ehrenreich, or Ehrenreich, I think is how you say it. It looks like Reich, but it's Rick. I don't know. Jason Clarke, Tony Goldwyn, Kenneth Branagh, Josh Hartnett, Tim Conti, and Jefferson Hall. And Jared, can I just say, I didn't look up who was in this movie before. I'd seen a lot of previews and thought I had like the gist of how many people who was in it. And then uh, Josh Hartnett was at the premiere in London and everyone was talking about Josh Hartnett. There were all these pictures and people were like, ooh, like basically saying he's a zaddy because and they loved his outfit and he looked very European and I thought, this is really cool. He does look great. But I also thought, what is Josh Hartnett doing at this London premiere? Like, I just thought, what a random dude. Does he live in London now? That's so weird. So then when he shows up in the film and plays a pivotal role in Oppenheimer, it all made sense to me.
0: Yeah, uh, this movie definitely does have a lot of people that just kind of pop in for a scene or right. two. But um, they're important. And that, but they're very like important. Like Kenneth Branagh. kind of the...
1: He's like super important in the film, but you only see him for a a handful of minutes. And then the last person I commented on, um, Jefferson Hall, he plays the Chevalier character. He was pivotal, but we only saw him for maybe 10 minutes of time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And Gary Oldman has a quick cameo Oh, I forgot to mention Gary.
1: Yeah. Wow.
0: I feel like Gary just wanted to be in the Christopher Nolan movie. Also, I just thought, of
1: course, Gary Oldman weaseled his way in here. Of course he did.
0: He had to had to get in. After playing Winston Churchill, he yeah. was like I only do historical figures now. Correct. So uh, this is this is my career. Okay, let's get into our likes for Oppenheimer. Um, Well, actually, before we get into our likes and dislikes, you had a couple of historical facts about the actual atomic bomb and the Trinity test um, and kind of all the stuff that's portrayed throughout the movie.
1: Thank you. I'll be very quick. Some of this is from my own brain. I did have a very long talk with my dad one night, as, as one does with their father, about the atomic bombs and how all this came about. So a lot of this they clear up in the movie, which is excellent. But just to give people an idea, because I think, I think I was definitely one of the people that didn't understand and still have trouble understanding atomic bomb versus hydrogen bomb. I can't explain that to you. I'm not a scientist. But uh, I also was like, dad, why in the world was Japan, like, why did we pick them? I thought we just picked them out of the blue to bomb. It was because, though, if people didn't know this and you're like me, World War II had not ended, but Germany had already surrendered. Hitler killed himself like the coward he was on April 20th. So he was already gone. And we didn't drop these bombs until August of the same year. So the reason we did that is Japan had said, which they bring up in the movie, they were never going to surrender. They were not going to be done fighting. They were not an ally with us. And then Russia was not really against us, but they were in the race, just like the space race. And we're always in a a rush with, uh, or a competition with Russia to build things and do things first. And true to form, they were trying to develop this bomb technology first, Um, but we got to it first. Anyway, the reason we dropped it on Japan was because they said they weren't going to surrender. And then we all know about Pearl Harbor and everything. Um, the only. Yeah, yep. yeah. So I hope that helps some people because uh, not saying other people are dumb, but I didn't understand the timing or why we chose Nagasaki and Hiroshima. Now I understand. Or Hiroshima, however you like to say it. Um, and then the only other things I wanted to bring up. One interesting fact that I I just think is um, bears mentioning the. Oh, I accidentally closed the window, but I remember what it was. I'll find it before we're done here. Um, But the plane that dropped one of the bombs uh, is actually located. One second. It should be this. Yes. Boxcar is the plane that dropped. I forget which one, but one of the bombs. Oh, the one on Nagasaki is here in Dayton. Um, So I have seen it, fortunately and unfortunately. I mean, it's a cool plane. um, But we have a fantastic Air Force Museum, the Wright-Patterson Air Force Museum in Dayton, Ohio. Incredibly famous. It's an enormous museum that you could literally spend four days in and not see everything. (laughs) Also, I've been more times than I would prefer to go because it does seem to be like the thing that people always want to see in Dayton. But it is worth a trip if you're interested and want to bring a little bit of money to um the dayton scene but it is interesting that that plane if you want to see it is here uh we also have the air force one that carried kennedy's body when he was assassinated that is also in the same museum there's a lot of famous yeah you can
0: like walk through that which is like really cool to see yeah so i thought that was
1: interesting and i wanted to mention it since it's absolutely relevant to this film and then the only other thing um That I thought would be a helpful context for people. So the two bombs that were dropped, we dropped them um, Hiroshima or Hiroshima. I never know how to say it. Um, We dropped that on August 6, 1945. Um, They called, also they were called, it was Little Boy. I forget. There was like Big Boy and Little Boy. Um, That one was Little Boy. Uh, It was a uranium bomb. Um, and it did estimated, this is all from nuclearmuseum.org. Who knew that was a thing? Um, it is estimated to kill between 90 and 166,000 people. Uh, the reason that number variation is so big is because they're tracking over a four-month period because people were affected, obviously, beyond that day. Um And then it says the city, though, of Hiroshima has estimated that 237,000 people were killed directly or indirectly by the bomb's effects, including burns, radiation sickness, and cancer. And then the one that was Nagasaki, I'm almost there. Here we go. That was on August 9th. That was a plutonium device. That was called Fat Man. So it was Little Boy and Fat Man. Um, It does say estimated... Okay. Okay. 40,000 and 75,000 people died immediately following the atomic explosion while another 60,000 people suffered severe injuries. And then I think the last thing I want to say about it, I also had asked my dad, who is a genius, um, but I I had no understanding of how atomic bombs work. And I also didn't understand. I thought they just hit the ground and exploded everything, (laughs) but they actually stopped in the air. And then what comes down is what uh, affects all of the people and stuff. So that's also why it only spreads so far. That's a lot of like physics and stuff I don't understand. Um, But any smart people, if you would like to call (laughs) call in, if you'd like to DM us and let us know more, please feel free. Um, But I hope that helps you a little bit, putting the perspective and context around that stuff, because I didn't understand it. And that at least helped me see – the impact of the bombs and I was so emotionally traumatized by this movie because I knew some of that stuff going into it and then just sitting in there for three hours seeing why we decided to do this and how everything turned out was even more upsetting. So I wanted other people to know that because that might uh, alter you as well.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's uh, good to bring up some of those facts before we get into our our likes and our our dislikes for this movie. So the overall, this is a really, really good movie. Uh there's I do have a couple dislikes, but for the most part it's very positive. Uh the acting is phenomenal. I I think this is probably Christopher Nolan's best script that he's ever written. Um Totally agree. The story the storytelling is very interesting as well. Um and I liked you were talking about well, I guess this is going to be my my first thing mm-hmm. just cuz it kind of goes off of what we were just talking about with the bombs and stuff, but this is a spoiler obviously too if you haven't seen Oppenheimer. Come back. Uh, But I like that they did not show the actual bombs going off over Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Yes. Um, One, because Oppenheimer himself did not see them go off. He was not there. Mm -hmm. Um, But also because I don't think that that was necessary to the story of this man. And I think it would have just been kind of traumatic to see that. Now, you do see the the test, obviously, which Mm -hmm. we'll talk about. um, And you see it go off during the test. But I'm glad that Nolan and the, the filmmakers uh, and, you know, everybody else involved decided that they weren't going to show a scene of it going off over these these cities uh, and, and destroying and killing all those people, like you said.
1: Yes. Jared, what an excellent point to bring up with first. Um, they did. One thing I liked about the film was what you just said, that they didn't show it. But also what they did show, though, was Oppenheimer stepping into what looks like a charred, burned body. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. That is exactly... Uh, Because I have looked at the pictures. I was shown them in school, which I think is important. I do think we should be faced with these atrocities that we have committed over the years. Um, And also just to see the effects and impacts of nuclear warfare, because it's something that like we shouldn't take lightly. We should definitely be concerned about. Um, And, you know, at the time, they didn't know what this was going to do to people. So I thought what they showed was just enough. It was eerie and spooky as heck. And um, just terrifying to think that Oppenheimer had to deal with that for the rest of his life. Think about those things. I know he saw the pictures. Like, I know he saw the reports and things and what this did to people. And he was behind the science um, that helped create this. Um, But I agree with you, Jared. I don't think that was necessary to the film. But I do want people to know if you do want to see what atomic warfare does, I do think that's important. And you can easily look up the photos Um, online. And if nothing else, two people that didn't die, they did get cancer um, from this and then also had severe burns like I've never seen before.
0: Yeah, I was going to say if you want maybe something that uh, is a little more graphic in terms of showing some of that nuclear what you know nuclear stuff can mm-hmm. do to your body. I would recommend the HBO show Chernobyl, yes. uh, which is about the Chernobyl nuclear power plant accident back in the eighties. Um, that's a TV show, so it's a little bit longer, and obviously it's not a bomb, but it's still nuclear power. and in that show they really do not hold back at all in terms of showing what radiation uh, poisoning can do to somebody. Mm-hmm. So. Um, that, that would, if you're interested in this subject or if you want to find out more, uh, that would, that's a a show to recommend Again, not an easy watch, but a very well made show. And as far as I understand, it is pretty historically accurate to what happened in that situation as well. Also, um,
1: sorry to, I felt kind of stupid for not explaining the bomb well, uh, but one thing just from the CDC.gov actually says, If this helps you when a nuclear device, because I was saying like it's in the air and it explodes in the air. Um, When it's exploded, a large fireball is created. Everything inside of this fireball vaporizes, including soil and water, and is carried upwards. So things would fall down like fire and everything else and then would also like go up, which is why it only spread so many miles um, surrounding Mm -hmm. the bombing site, if you will.
0: Uh, so another like for this movie is there's really no CGI in this movie. Um, it's all practical effects um, with the bombing and everything. They really, as far as I know, set that off and uh, film that and all that stuff. So I will say there's there's not as many special effects shots in this movie as maybe a movie like Tenet or like Inception or Interstellar or something like that. Um, but Christopher Nolan has always been a big proponent of doing practical effects and using uh not using CGI, if at all possible. And in this movie, there's there's really none, as far as I understand it, or very little uh, in terms of, you know, improving something, but there's not very much at all.
1: Yes, I think that bears repeating. I think I mentioned that when we recorded Barbie and then just, uh, I like to, Jared's using the correct terminology, practical effects, but the fact that Christopher Nolan does not have formal director like training, which just blows my mind. Like He's a self-taught, and I do think he might be something of a prodigy. Um, he just seems yeah. so brilliant uh, that I, I think a lot of that is obviously learned, but I think a lot of it maybe just comes instinctively to him. Um, but also the fact that he doesn't use CGI is incredible to me. And you can see some of the filming stuff that they did for this. Like, um, and also, I thought it was clever how he even thought, well, if we're not going to do CGI of like a bomb dropping, how can we show and screen filled with fire or sparks Or showing some of the like Mm -hmm. chemistry and, and nuclear fission and all this stuff that's happening. I thought that was genius. That's very clever and that's very creative. And I credit him because I don't think a lot of directors think this way. And that's how we get so many superhero movies and stuff. We get things that are easy. We already, they're formulaic. And we just rely so much on technology when there are creative ways to work around that and still get the point across.
0: Uh, Another like was obviously production for this movie. Um, Everything fits together very well. Costumes, set design. Uh, Los Alamos looks very cool. All the men are wearing uh, very cool suits in this movie. Um, Very uh, appropriate for the time period that this movie is set in as well. Obviously Killian has his hat that he's wearing throughout a lot of the movie. That's kind of iconic with his character. So yeah, just a really nice job overall uh, in terms of, of, what it looks like on screen.
1: The hat is incredible to me. That was my favorite. Um, I really like this style. I've mentioned many times before, the 40s is my favorite fashion decade that we've ever had, the 1940s. Um, But I thought the production value was insane. I did mention that on Barbie too, but I think we're looking at two very different films, but with very high production value. The set was incredible. The Los Alamos set that Jared has alluded to, which is in New Mexico, not Texas. Um, and then w- he didn't say that. I'm just saying uh, a lot of people you hear Los Alamos, you think of Texas. Um, and then I thought the, the wardrobe was incredible. The hair and makeup was incredible. All of it was so well done, but I really like Oppenheimer's hat. I can't get over it. Um, I just, I don't know. I liked it. Also Oppenheimer smoked. Killian is so good. I, he doesn't smoke. Um, Cause I've read about that. Cause I looked that up during Peaky Blinders. Um, the Oppenheimer, because he had to smoke so much in op- in Peaky Blinders. In Oppenheimer, I was reading about J. Robert Oppenheimer's real life. He smoked up to five packs of cigarettes a day, and he did ultimately get lung cancer. So, if that is not a cautionary tale to you, just want people to know. But the thought of five packs a day makes me want to throw up on myself.
0: That yeah, that's insane. Disgusting. So. <laughs> Music is also really good in this movie. This movie is scored by Ludwig Goranson, mm-hmm. uh, who did the music for Tenet, has also done the music for both Black Panther movies oh. uh, and Creed 2 as well. So uh, normally, well, for the last couple, uh, Christopher Nolan had been using Hans Zimmer to score his movies, uh, but Ludwig did Tenet and then this movie as well. So he might have a new favorite composer that he likes to use, yeah. but the the score in this just fits so well. Really adds to the tension, uh, the intensity of what's going on, the music complements that very nicely. Yes,
1: I can't say that any better than Jared, so I second that. And then the only other thing I wanted to bring up, I don't often think of editing, sound editing, but I I definitely think it's going to get nominated for that. And I think that that is crucial to this film because you're talking about bombs, you're talking about all these loud explosions and things that are happening. And I thought the editing was terrific. And the theater I've t- uh, heard multiple people where I didn't even bring this up where they said like the theater was so loud or like the walls shook in my movie theater, which they did. But I, I think that was, uh, makes sense with this film and what we're, we're watching the content, I guess.
0: I really liked in terms of the sound design, how no one, uh, dealt with the bombs going off. And then when you hear it, so yes, delayed. Like, they're, it's delayed. Yeah. Even they do like a small test uh, a little bit earlier in the movie and they shoot it off. It's maybe like 100, 200 yards away from them or whatever. And you see it. And then like three seconds later, you hear it. Um, and then obviously for the big Trinity test, which we'll talk about here in a minute, um, that is the same situation where it goes off and then it's probably 30 seconds before you hear it. And that's how it would actually happen that you exactly. see the visual before you hear that. I mean, it's just like a firework. You see it and then you hear it. So uh, I thought that was very smart in terms of editing. A lot of movies would not think to use that attention to detail and would just have both things go off at the same time. So I thought that was very cool how he did that. So
1: I thought another thing, cause to me that was not really an artistic choice that was realistic, but I thought an interesting artistic choice he did was to show, um, most of the film, like what's happening in, in present day, if you will, like as if you're in the 1940s was in color And then when he was like testifying, um, which he kept saying he's not on trial. This isn't a court of law, but that's what was happening. All of that testimony was in black and white. And I thought that was a really interesting choice. And I will say, I didn't think that was a dislike, but at first I didn't understand the difference. I didn't know why some was in black and white and some was in color. And then by the end of the film, I understood it. But I thought that was a really cool choice. um, And it really didn't need an explanation because by the end of the film, I think you understood what was what.
0: Yeah, I thought it was a cool way to differentiate between timelines mm-hmm. in the movie just by that one simple thing uh, where, if you know, if it's in black and white, you're like, OK, we're in the we're in the future past when these events have happened. Yeah. And then obviously color is like present day or, or uh, in the past or if you want to think that the trial is at the present time. And then the testing is in the past. You could do that or you could view it the other way where you're like, this is the present. And then this is obviously what happened later after after the uh, the effects of the atomic bomb. Yes. So um, another like I had is that obviously we talked a little bit about the actors in this movie, but I think Killian Murphy is uh, incredible in this movie. I also want to give props to Robert Downing Jr., mainly because he's done Marvel movies for so long. Yeah. He played Iron Man for so long. And. I always say I like it when actors show their range a little mm-hmm. bit. And this is obviously something completely different. Uh, he's come out and said that he thinks it's maybe the best movie he's ever Yeah, been he's. Yeah, I, pr- I was going to um, say that too. Yeah. He said it
1: multiple <laughs> times. He's like, without question, this is the best film I've ever been a part of.
0: Yeah, and I think that his performance is, is really, really good and shows you something of him that we haven't seen in a while just because he's done so many superhero movies. Yeah. So I really like that. I don't know if it was him getting to decide to be in the movie or if no one, you know, cast him in the film. Mm-hmm. However, that worked out. But I, I I think he was a little nervous to do it. Also listening to some some interviews. Um, just because he hadn't done a dramatic movie like this in so long. Yes. But I thought he was really good in his performance in a, su- in a supporting role. I
1: did too. And he really surprised me uh, because for the exact same reason you stayed. I mean, I've seen him in so many Marvel films lately that I'm just kind of like, what has he done before or since? Um, not that I haven't seen him in other things. And he's a very likable person. Part of what was so hard for me to even mention it, like I didn't put it in the notes, is because I hate his character so much by the end. Like, he is truly, there's a lot of villains in this film, really, but um, he is so diabolical. I just hated him by the end. And, Jared, it was funny. I didn't put in the notes anything about Killian. And then when you had started talking, I had just typed Killian with like eight exclamation points, like that I needed to mention him. So it was funny. Because Killian Murphy, to me, everybody was good. I don't think there was a false note um, performance in this movie. But Killian's performance was next level to me. He obviously lost a lot of weight. He obviously did that thing where actors can overcommit. I do think he did this as safely as he could. He doesn't seem someone um, from every interview and everything everybody else has said, both with him present, and with him not present in the interviews. It doesn't sound like he was manic about these things. It just sounds like he was very committed to like, I need to learn this speech in Dutch. I need to learn about nuclear fission so I can explain this. I need to read the Bhagavad Gita so that I can say the, like know the quote about I am become death destroyer of worlds. Like he committed to this fully. He did lose a lot of weight. I'm never going to encourage people to lose or gain weight like that. That's it's unhealthy no matter which way you slice it. But I think his body was closer to handling it on the thin side anyway, that I don't think this was as massive a transition as things like we've seen Christian Bale or Tom Hanks do stuff like that. Anyway, Killian was outstanding. And I think um, I give Christopher Nolan a lot of credit, too, because Killian is someone that clearly has acting chops. But sometimes it just takes that one director to put you in the role that really highlights how good you are. So very good choice for him. And I I cannot say enough glowing reviews about Killian's performance in this.
0: There's such a... um like subtlety to the way he performs this role yes. too, um, especially after the the bombing has happened. Um, his demeanor changes a little bit and his attitude changes a little bit. Um, and this is not like, this is also not like a very um, arrogant character or a loud character. I mean, Oppenheimer, it doesn't seem like was a guy that was like yelling and screaming nope. or anything like that. Um, or he didn't get real excited about things and he didn't get, super duper upset about things. So it was just kind of melancholy. It seemed like and I thought Killian played that part really well. I mean, the only time he smiles in the movie is like once the test happens and it's successful and he's kind of like, you know, we did it. Um, But I thought that he just played that, that role so well. So the, the next thing I wanted to talk about was the actual test, the Trinity test, Mm -hmm. um, which is like the closure of the second act of this movie. Uh, A great sequence. I thought from Nolan in terms of building some suspense my heart was like racing when they were about to set off the the test um it was just i thought insane great performances from everybody in that scene Mm -hmm. but also extremely well edited building up to that moment because uh, you knew it was going to happen. Um, and then the the drama with like, it was raining and then they decided to do it early in the morning. And then it kind of counts it down. It doesn't do it like real time, but you kind of go from like two hours before to 30 minutes to 15. And then, it, you know, the final two or three minutes are kind of playing out in real time. But I thought that was such an intense sequence to watch uh, because at that point in the movie, the whole movie had been building up to that. Was it going to work? Right. Was it going to be successful? Then obviously it's, it was, built for the purpose to kill people so you know you're you're kind of as a viewer you kind of have different thoughts in terms of do i want them to succeed or do i not because the ultimate what happened with this was very awful and bad so but i thought nolan did a really good job in that sequence kind of showing some Mm -hmm. some of the characters celebrating but also kind of you as a viewer still feeling like okay but i don't know if that was you know the best thing
1: right right i the that test was incredible i think This movie, you were making me remember more um, just how this movie made like the emotions came in waves for me. And I just felt like my heart would just it would kind of slow down and then it would just speed up again. And I would have to take like I found myself taking deep breaths after certain scenes without even realizing I'd been holding my breath. Um, but I think that's powerful to, when a movie can do that. And I think it is so rare these days that a movie can do that. Um, and then also, since you mentioned that test, I forgot to mention like Benny Safdie's in this, there were some other mm-hmm. really good outstanding performances. I just kind of got the people that I could remember off the top of my head, or I liked their performance, but he was also in it.
0: Uh, so a few other likes before we move to dislikes. One is three watchability factor. In fact, I'm going to see this again next week. I think I am uh, too. Just because I... I do want to watch it again Mm -hmm. because I feel like, one, it's a little bit of a complex story, which we'll talk about a little bit in Dislikes. But I think, as with all No One movies, really, uh, after you see them a second or third time, you kind of understand them a little bit better. Right. So I'm intrigued to see this again. Knowing the story now, I can focus on probably some of the the other things that were going on that maybe I didn't notice the first time I watched
1: it. Agreed. I, I think I have to see it again. I mean, that is a big commitment to go like it's three hours. So if it's after a work night or something like that's essentially your evening. But I think I have to do that as well. Um, I put the same thing. I think that this is a movie. There's a lot of uh, well, I was trying to think of movies this year that I was like, I have to buy that when it comes out. And I couldn't think of a single one until this one. Um Yeah. And I also think there's not a lot of movies that I think I want to watch that over and over because I think I could get something new from it. I mean, part of the reason I love the movies I love, like Goodwill Hunting and Shawshank and Little Women and stuff, is because I relate so much to something or because I always get something new out of it. There's always just something new to discover. And I think this movie has that in spades. Um, And then another thing to me, I don't know about you, Jared. This could be a bold statement. I did not feel... Even though this was long, I didn't feel like I was sitting for three hours. Um, I did. Mm -hmm. I did. I had to go to the bathroom once. I was so ashamed of myself. But it is three hours. Me too. Um, And previews are like 20 or 30 minutes. So you're talking three and a half hours. So I did go to the bathroom once. I won't go in the same place next time. But uh, I did not feel like I was sitting for three hours. I was not checking my watch. I was not ready for it to be over. And really, when you're talking a three-hour runtime, that's pretty remarkable.
0: I think, too, the fact that um, you said, going back to your last point, too, about rewatching it, I feel like historical biopics are not really something that you really want to rewatch very often. Uh, most of the time, you see them once and you're like, that was nice. That was an interesting story. I learned a little bit more about that person, but I'm good. I don't really need to rewatch that in the future anytime soon. But I think that's a testament to this movie and the fact that it is a biopic and it is like a. Uh, almost a courtroom drama at times as well. Uh, And that, you know, we both want to rewatch it. I think says a lot about, about this film. So, and then also a final, like you had this uh, in the notes that this was just a real true drama about a lot of different situations. Yeah.
1: yeah. I, cause this, I kind of did this with Barbie too, because they, they both just left such an impression on me this much more so, but I thought this brought up real complex issues that I yearn for in films, Yes, I'm there to be entertained, but I really like stories that talk about, like, complex topics or real human, I guess, despair, or they have to make a choice that is a difficult choice. So they, in this movie, there's a lot about racism and bigotry. Um, Everything is like a sign of the times. And we see that repeated now, but we see it in different forms. So, like the the hatred of jewish people and how they're being treated and oppenheimer himself being jewish um albert einstein plays a big part and really did play a big part in this um he had such a conflict of conscience about this that he did not contribute to this bomb because he knew that oppenheimer was smart enough to develop the technology but he did not want his name associated with it but he was a jewish man that also had you know issues with what was going on Um, I loved the collaboration between the groups of people. These people gave up, literally gave up their lives being around family, uh, being in the the normal world, if you will, to go live in Los Alamos for years to help develop this technology. Um, and there's just real serious questions of, of consciousness, especially for Oppenheimer. Um, I will say, lastly, before we get to dislikes, when I left the theater, I couldn't speak for about five minutes and I wasn't being dramatic. I wasn't trying to like... You know, be like, wow. Um, I couldn't talk. And then I got in the car and just started crying. Um, And Arjun was there, but I was just like talking about, I feel so bad that Oppenheimer had to live with this for the rest of his life. I mean, he wasn't the only person involved. And I do think ultimately it was probably the right move. Uh, It probably saved a lot more lives than it ended. Mm -hmm. But he still killed, was behind technology that killed innocent civilians, mostly women and children, who were just walking down the street one day in Japan, um, who did nothing wrong, who weren't involved in the war. Um, But also the fact that Oppenheimer had to take on that guilt, live with it the rest of his life, and also be questioned about everything, if he was a communist, why he did this, who he slept with, uh, how he treated his family. It, It just constant, a constant barrage of questioning and stuff the rest of his life. And I cannot imagine the emotional toll that would have taken on him. And although he's not the only person I feel sympathetic for, I was just sad thinking about, like I was crying because I thought how terrible it was that we even had to get to a place where we had to feel, figure out nuclear warfare and had to resort to that and how I never hope we get there again. But there's so many things about our world that are so depressing right now. Um, that I think like, have we learned anything at all? And that's why I think it is good that we have movies like this that make us revisit these horrible events and people should look at pictures of this and they should be exposed to this so that we don't do it again.
0: I think too, like in the, in the movie, obviously his scene with the president is kind of where that all comes to uh, fruition. uh, And he's kind of like, you know, wrestling with that, that stuff you just mentioned. And the president's like, well, nobody's going to remember who, built the atomic bomb they're going to remember that i was the one who decided to drop it so uh, couldn't um, I, you no. know i
1: would have never said oh yeah truman was the one i wouldn't know. yeah
0: yeah i didn't even yeah. i never so. even
1: think about truman i gotta tell you
0: yeah uh my final real quick thing before we move to dislikes because this kind of relates to dislikes too um is that i thought this is a very complicated story to tell i thought for the most part in terms of the main story beats I understood what was going on. Uh, Now, some of the side stuff, not as much, which we'll talk about a little bit in dislikes. But I think that's a testament to Nolan and his direction in terms of this is a complex story. But for the most part, I was able to, I was not lost at any point in terms of what was happening. So, uh, and now we'll move on to our dislikes. So that is also a dislike as well, though, because there's a lot of stuff you have to focus on The first time around, this is not a movie that you can go into and kind of just turn your brain off and sit there for two hours and three hours in this case and enjoy yourself. Uh, This is one that you have to pay attention to. You have to know the characters. You have to know the major players kind of what's going on. Um, So it's, it's not like Barbie or even like mission impossible, Mm -hmm. which we just reviewed where you can kind of just go in and enjoy yourself. This is going to be one that you think about for a while and one that's going to require, kind of your full attention the entire time.
1: Yes. I don't have like a better way to say that, but we did even talk about, we alluded to like suicide and things like that, that were in this film that Mm -hmm. we haven't really touched on. But there were so many, Jean Tatlock who Robert Oppenheimer had a, he had a relationship with her for quite a long time, um, but she was clinically depressed and did end up completing suicide. Um, Things like that are very heavy. So even, even just stuff like that, these side characters, these side stories, they don't dwell on very much that could be so difficult for people to take in. Things like seeing how uh, women are treated, because again, it's that time period where no women are respected. Uh, Women really have no power. Uh, Kitty, poor Kitty, who did seem, uh, she was an alcoholic um, and was maybe not the most naturally nurturing person, but she also had to see Oppenheimer was a ladies' man. And although He was so gifted in so many areas. He was not faithful to the women in his life. Um, And even that, like we had to see Kitty get exposed to these affairs. And not only that, but they're aired out publicly and they're in public record when he's testifying. I mean, that stuff is sad. And I agree with Jared. It's I really like how complex it is. I really like the drama of it all. But it is a lot – it's very emotionally and physically taxing to sit through these loud noises and sit through a long movie and then also have all of the really heavy material to think about that you leave the theater with after. And that that can be really difficult. And I think it also makes it a little less accessible for people as well.
0: So I had a few other dislikes. One was I thought that this movie was – not maybe marketed super well. Uh, It seems like from the marketing that it's going to be all about the atomic bomb. And Mm -hmm. it is, but it seems like in the marketing, it's going to be all about the development, um, you know, the use of that. And while that is a lot of the movie, a third of the movie really is not about that. So I feel like some people might be going in, especially with Christopher Nolan's track record, expecting something that has a little more action in it, has a, a few more big, set pieces that are, you know, very cool to watch. And that's not really the case with this movie. So I I did think about that a little bit in terms of the, the marketing and how the, the ads and the trailers and things for this were.
1: Yes. um, One thing that Jared and I talked about, this is really my only other, I do think, I definitely have to put it in the dislike category. Jared and I had a lot to say about this before we started recording. The sexual content in this film was questionable to me. Um, mm-hmm. I don't want to sound like a prude. I am not bothered by sex. I do not think movies should not have it. I think that um, when you have sexual content, it should be used to aid the film. And I think there, there's nothing wrong with including that there was sex and that these people were together in this film. But I I thought like the way it was portrayed and how frequently and just physically the the graphicness of the sexual content was a bit much. And could have been done very differently. And we even talked about, Jared and I, how sexual content isn't even usually a thing in Nolan movies. Like, it was interesting that there were three distinct scenes in this film that revolved around sexual content. And one was so graphic. And I'm not saying it's, like, not appealing to see hot people, like, in a movie that are, you know, in love and doing whatever they're doing. But uh, there was one scene that I was like, are they actually having sex? <laughs> like, I was very concerned <laughs> About, I was like, I hope there was an intimacy coordinator. Killian is married. Like, I'm confused. Um, So anyway, Jared, what are your thoughts on that?
0: I think that, yeah, that's kind of a minor character in the, you know, whole telling of this Mm -hmm. tale. Uh, the Jean character, while it is important to Oppenheimer, I feel like it is, you know, Florence is in the movie for a couple of minutes and every time it's that she's in it, she's re- it's really a sex scene yeah. pretty much. So, um, I think if you're going to leave one in, I thought the third one was maybe the most impactful mm-hmm. in terms of the one where he is not technically on trial, but he is on trial. Yeah. Uh, and, it was and Kitty graphic. is in the room. <laughs> yeah. And Kitty is in the room with him and then they kind of have to relive that, mm-hmm. uh, You know, part of his life. I thought that one really had that had some emotional impact for me as a viewer. I was like, oh, okay. It was a little shocking. It was a little. I was like, okay, Emily. I kind of understand what Emily Blunt's character is going through in this moment. Mm -hmm. Um, There's one where they're just both sitting shirtless, having a conversation. Pride didn't need to be naked in that particular moment. Um, And then the first one yeah, was a, I don't know. I maybe would have cut that or we talked about before there's different ways that you could show that they maybe yeah. had sex or were in the act without showing so much graphicness. Well, and we, it. I mean, so.
1: everybody, everybody's naked. Like everybody has these body parts. Sex is a part of life. I don't have issues with that. I'm, I'm not a loser, but I, <laughs> I just think there are There are so many different ways to show it or like obviously these two are getting it on. Do you know what I mean? Like we were aware when he met Florence that those two were going to have sex. um. But I just think like we didn't need three scenes or sitting naked in chairs. I guess some people maybe do that. But I thought this is weird to not imagine she's like wearing his shirt. Or that she's Mm -hmm. not covered up a little bit. Or that he's not covered up a little bit. It's also weird that they're just naked sitting in chairs, not even like on each other's laps, just across the room from each other. I was like, this is weird. Um, But I would agree with you, Jared. I think even though it was the most graphic scene, I do think the third one was the one that had the biggest emotional impact. And if he could only keep one, that's the one I would keep. But it was just something that I thought, you know, me um, just coming from the home I did, I would never have been allowed to see this film until I was like, 15 because just because of those scenes Mm -hmm, yep and I also kind of understand why and I just think like when you have stuff like that even if it's done tastefully you have to be careful because not as many people can see that and not everybody's going to be able to discern like a lot of people I guarantee you didn't even think well that could have been done differently they probably just were like these people are hot cool and moved on whereas I was like "Mm, I feel like artistically we could have made different choices
0: I had one other dislike um, before we move on to our scores, and that is I think I did not dislike the third act, but the third act of this movie was a little unexpected Mm. uh, for me personally. Um, And I've seen some other complaints about the story structure in terms of people thinking it should have maybe ended with the Trinity test. And that was maybe the end of the movie. Um, And while I did like kind of the aftermath of what happens after the atomic bomb goes off, I just think. That I wasn't expecting the last hour of this movie to basically be a courtroom drama, a trial, right. um, things of that nature, a procedural drama. I just thought that was a, a little different for Nolan, which I applaud him for doing something that's a little bit different in terms of storytelling. But I think if you're going in and you're like, okay, this happened, the movie must al- almost be over because that was kind of the, the, the big moment of the movie. Right. And then you realize you have an hour left of this film still. Um, I could see where some people would be like, okay, this is not what I expected. And I think for me, that was the case. I'm not saying it was bad. I'm not saying I didn't like it, but I just think it was kind of unexpected in terms of how he structured the the story a little bit.
1: The only thing I'll say about that is Rami Malek. He kept he was in all of these, these photos and stuff. And I thought, is he in this <laughs> film? And I knew he was because he was in the trailer. But he hadn't shown up in most of the movie, except one scene where we he see he's a scientist in some capacity. But then that third yeah. act, I was like, oh, dang, because he changed the story, um, his testimony, yeah. which I don't want to ruin it for anybody. But I was just like, oh, that's why he's in the film. Um But I, too, uh, I was other- a little thrown by that.
0: Yeah. Only other thing I had, Minor, mm-hmm. uh did not think the casting of josh peck was great i don't know if it's because i watched a lot of drake and josh (laughs) as a kid and i cannot get him out of my mind as Um, that character but i i just that was the only one that threw me off a little bit and to put him in charge of the the person that's gonna like push the button if the test doesn't go correctly Mm -hmm. and abort it i just thought and he's not really in the movie that much i was just like this is kind of an odd casting because this guy is mostly in comedic stuff Mm -hmm. and People and my Disney. age know him from Nickelodeon yeah. and Disney stuff. I will yeah, admit,
1: so. I also was thrown by that choice. It didn't bother me to the extent it bothered you because we are different ages. Like he wasn't a big deal, but I also was like, "What's he doing here?" Um, but that's okay. But it didn't. I won't dock any points for that. But I agree with you. Yeah. Of all the people, I was like, "What?"
0: Josh Peck. Okay. Okay. Interesting. So, okay, time for our scores on Oppenheimer. You're going first. Yes. What are you giving this? Movie? I'm
1: giving this a 98. I feel confident okay. about it. I don't think it's a perfect film, but hands down without question, it's the best film I've seen this year. I Nothing comes close, even Mission Impossible as much as I liked it, even Barbie as much as I liked it. Nothing comes close. This is so like my kind of film. This is just like a journalism film. This is, this is the meat and potatoes of what I love about art and cinema. And I thought it was darn near perfect. I loved it.
0: I'm going to go a little bit lower than you, but still high. Uh, I'm going to go a 94 out of 100. I think maybe if I watch it again, that rating could go up. I think for me personally, my favorite Christopher Nolan movie is still uh, Inception, which is also my personal favorite movie. I don't think anything is going to beat that probably. Um, But I think in terms of the story and Nolan taking some risks and kind of doing a little bit different style of movie than he's done in the past... I thought that this was very good. Um, As we said, we already, you know, lauded its praises for 45 minutes, so I don't think I need to say any more. But overall, (laughs) we both, I think, really enjoyed this. This should be a definite contender for Oscars, Best Picture, some other awards as well, especially a lot of the technical awards. I could see this being the winner Mm -hmm. in that category. Mm -hmm. Sound, visual effects, editing, things like that. I think I would do
1: um, The Dark Knight and then the... the, Or I think I would do Oppenheimer than The Dark Knight.
0: Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. For me, it's probably Inception, then maybe The Dark Knight, and then maybe Oppenheimer. Ooh. If I had to rank the t- the three, okay. so fair. I mean, I I love The Dark Knight too. Oh my so. gosh, it's
1: just one of the best movies ever.
0: Yeah, but so clearly we liked our, this film. Our, yeah, we enjoyed Oppenheimer as well. So go check it out if you have not, or if you want to watch it again. We might on our next episode. We probably will both have seen it again. Yeah. So we might have a few other thoughts on it uh, in terms of things that maybe got cleared up on our on our second viewing. So If you want to follow the show on social media, you can do that at Podcast Silver on Twitter and Instagram. Search the Silver Screen Podcast on Facebook and find our letterbox profiles in the description of the show notes wherever you're listening. You can also rate and review wherever you listen. That really helps us out as well. Uh, We noticed over the past few weeks we had some ratings on Spotify. So thank you if you're listening on Spotify. I appreciate the ratings there and Apple Podcasts wherever you like to listen to your podcast. Our next episode is going to be our 200th episode. And... What we are going to do, a little bit of a preview, is we are going to kind of preview the rest of the year in terms of what's coming out in the fall and winter for the rest of 2023. Then also because it's your 200th episode, we're going to do our three biggest Oscar snubs. uh, Things we think that maybe should have won or should have got nominated that didn't. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to have all of our guest hosts also... give their thoughts on maybe an Oscar snub that they that they think is a big one in their mind. So should be a fun episode. Yeah,
1: we're gonna have a lot of content. We're just really excited to make it to 200. That's a big accomplishment. (laughs) And we're proud of ourselves. So thank you all for listening and giving us a reason to do this for this long, too.
0: Yeah, and then we'll be back to our normal reviews you know, after that, whatever's coming out. I don't know what else is... I was kind of focused on these two movies for the longest time. Now I, I don't know what Dune else is on the calendar, Killers, but yeah. Killers of the
1: Flower Man, that's, <laughs> that's what I'm so, waiting
0: on. we're just going to do that 200th episode, take a three-month break, and then we'll be back with you for Dune uh, when it comes out in November.
1: Perfect. <laughs> That'll work. Until next time, we'd like to thank the Academy.